Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here. I'm joined this week with the usual co-host and a very special guest. This is Cartel Aristocrats cast number 44, or Farty Far, if you're listening from the great state of Missouri. I'm joined this week with Ed Wynn, head buyer for Carlin's Game Shop, Jim Casali of Casali Productions, Travis Allen of MTG Prize, and Jason Alt, mediocre comedian, podcaster, and writer for a lot of websites. Uh, this week, we have a lot of things to talk about, but first off, Modern Masters 2017 came out. Um, looks like Wizards finally made Fetch happen, and we're going to get all... Are we, I mean, is this the set we've all been waiting for as far as value goes, or is this a trap? What do you guys think? I really don't know, man, because they gave us something good on the pack wrappers. They don't always do that. Everyone thinks they always have good stuff on the pack wrappers, but they don't always like, everyone's like, oh, Stoic Angel, and like, I don't know, man. Didn't they have uh, Blood Raid Elf on a pack wrapper one time? Calm down. So we know there's Grizzlebrand, and then now we know that there are good cards spoiled today. And I don't know how many more good cards are actually in the set. I don't think it ever seems like they choose pack wrapper based on card strength. It seems like they choose it based on what art frames well and, like, tests well. Well, I, a lot of people are talking about the weird blue guy they don't know if that's snapcaster or geist or what so that art does frame well because it's gotten a lot of conversation started well yeah yeah like that looks good but i mean like i think we've even seen commons and uncommons on pack wrappers before because it just looked good on the booster pack not because it was a meaningful card Very yeah i believe people, it yes people are afraid of stuff i guess i don't know man anyone any any opportunity to complain people will so well, it's the I internet think it was... where you're supposed to complain, right? Like, that's all you're supposed to do is complain about everything. And, like, every, like, year you, you thank one person for doing something nice. Yeah, exactly. And we're already seeing um, opportunities in the market with people crunching the numbers. We've seen Grove of the Burnwells go up. So, once again, From the Vault Realms is just more free money for people that picked those up years ago. Uh, we've seen Horizon Canopy go a little crazy. And our, one of the pick of the weeks from last week, Eidolon of the Great Rebel, went up. Now, disclaimer, I did buy out every single copy on TCG under $6 today, which is 300 and something copies. But it's been going a little higher, and I think this hits 10 way sooner than I thought. About um, 350 copies of this card, and the price went up. Who knew? Yeah, exactly. And that's why I'm saying it on the cast, because I believe in this card. The buy list in Japan, where I'm going very soon, is still pretty aggressive on this. And worst case, I'll just flip it over there and get my money back. So I don't see anything wrong with uh, the card that is essentially the bottleneck for Modern Burn at this point now with Goblin Guide and the Fetches being reprinted. We have yet to see if Rift Bolt and Lava Spike get reprinted, but those could hit $5 now after they've gone back up to $4 each after four years of not being printed again. So I think Eidolon is just free money at this point. Hyrule Yuya has been buying this aggressively. Uh, Bashard said they have like 1,000 copies as of today, but I think they'll move through them really quick. So we will see what happens. Um, are there any other opportunities that you guys are looking at based off what we've seen so far or stuff that may be in it, just looking at the number crunch, but isn't confirmed yet? Well, there's a lot of things that are confirmed out, like Ink Moth Nexus is confirmed out. That's like a pretty big deal. Uh, and Horizon Canopy, I think, is also confirmed out. I was real excited about Ink Moth Nexus at 20 because I really think that card could hit $40 without a reprint, but everyone's talking me down like that. It's much less of a part of the metagame than it was. I didn't, I don't know, like pay attention to modern, but it still didn't seem like it was 
gone, but I guess it makes sense. But you know, with Horizon Canopy and growth prices, it, it doesn't. I believe that if Infact comes back in the meta, it could easily be a forty dollars card. I mean, even if we see some reprints of like Affinity stuff, it could still go up. Like if they decide to put Mox Opal at Mythic again or Arcbrand Ravager in the set, then you can you can just see demand for Ink Moth Nexus in other ways. Right, right, which is part of the reason why I like that. Ed, do you have any thoughts on what's going on as far as being one of the major vendors on this cast? As like what's moving? I'm happy to sell sealed boxes. No effort on our part. People just cash out. Uh, people weren't really looking to pre-order before this. Obviously, it's a race of bomb with vendors. Um, if you follow the Twitterverse, like last week, you could buy boxes as low as what 165, 170-ish shipped to you. Mass drop had them for 170. Uh, now, like the lowest you can buy in TCG, you put it probably like 190, probably in the 190-ish range. So. Took advantage of that. I don't think people fully realize that once we kind of get past the initial good cards, this set is probably not going to be all that exciting past this. Because obviously Wizards likes to front load all the the spicier cards because that's what gets people excited about it. Um, like tomorrow we'll probably see like a Mythic or two. And then after that, I feel like it's going to be a pretty steep drop. Um, and if people are... If people are into that, right? Like, if people want to play the lottery, like, with Eternal Masters, right, more power to them. I just feel like, you know, this set is nothing to write home about so far if all we're looking at is six rares to carry the set in terms of value so far. But what, can how, we, we, how long is the spoiler season? Is it two weeks or three? It's uh, one, one or two. Be, it's it's two one. Weeks. It's not on Friday. Mm-mm. Wait, it really? One week. Yeah, one yeah. week is Oh, because it comes out the week after. Yeah. Wow, I forgot it's almost March already. Yeah, uh, uh, well, that and they've been doing reprint sets in a condensed re-release schedule because everyone knows what the cards do, so you don't really need to like have that extra drawn out release like preview schedule. Yeah, the the previews, the whole set will be spoiled by Friday. Can we agree that at least they're giving something back to casual players who may want fetches or damnation, whereas for Modern Masters two, there wasn't necessarily that much for EDH outside of stuff like All Is Dust and the Eldrazi Titans. I mean, Jason, this is more your wheelhouse, but do you think that they're going to focus this with what we've seen more on casual players, but also yet on mo- on these modern cards, whereas Modern Masters 2 is a little less casual friendly, unlike Modern Masters 1? Uh, I think Modern Masters 1, they were sort of like, let's be everything for everybody. But I think uh, they're they're doing enough other stuff for Commander players, so I don't know if necessarily Commander and casual needs the kind of... Uh, reprints that the modern players need. Plus, they really don't just jam stuff in willy-nilly for Commander as much as people tend to think. Like They're like, oh, they just jammed Doubling Season in. But Doubling Season had a whole uh, archetype built around it. And uh, so I, I kind of tend to think, based on what we've seen about what they're going to do with the archetypes, Doubling Season is a possibility, but... It's not going to be wedged in there. It'll be in there because they're like, okay, we want red green to make tokens and grow them. We want green white to be about uh, proliferate. So, doubling season's not bad in a set where you're doing that. So, based on that, I would say that something like that is possible, but they're not just going to be like, hey, why is Cyclonic Rift so expensive? Jam that in the set. So, if they do give us anything, it'll probably be legendary creatures that could be commanders, and it can be some of the staples that 
fit in with the archetypes that they announce. And I think that's, I think that's uh, going to be a big topic because the archetypes can basically help us predict almost everything in the set. And yeah. for those, we got to have like parallel lives or doubly season, right? Is there any way this gets printed without one of them? Or uh, what's the other one? That, that uh, it wouldn't be primal vigor. Primal vigor is the other one. I don't because that oh because it's not legal, right? Yeah, it's only been printed in Commander. It's not a modern legal card. Yeah. There you go. So we know from what's you're releasing today that we have these archetypes of blue-white flash, red-black on Earth, green-white populate, or blue-white blank, sorry, my bad. And um, I forgot the last one. What's the... So, oh, red-green's red, like tokens plus growing them. So they, yeah. like they announced Goblin Assault at Uncommon, which is so very can, aggressive. Yeah, so what are you guys thinking? Crater Hoof, Behemoth, stuff like that. Do you want to sort of go into, for each archetype, what you expect to see? Well, uh, we've seen Restoration Angel and in blue-white, and I would be really surprised if they're doing Blink and don't do Snapcaster. Like, I would be very, very surprised. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple of, like, pretty important cards that we can see in there. Um like Snapcaster Mage is one of them. Wall of Omens is a card we could probably get another reprint of. That's like a couple of dollars. Um, like probably Glimmer Point Stag again. Like I don't know necessarily what cards were particularly good from Return to Ravnica and uh, Innistrad that are like blink worthy in blue and white. But um, definitely those highlight rares are probably going to be in the set. Detention Sphere. I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 easier to predict the, the the commons and uncommons and stuff than it is the like kind of middling rares. Like the the big stuff's easy to predict, and the uncommons and stuff are but like middling rares. It's like, is it going to be precinct captain or something like that? Like it's it's hard to know that. Well, the other problem is like the the blue white like blink archetype is just like literally a bunch of cards that blink things, which are like usually the same five or six or whatever. Like you have like momentary blinks since. Flashback is probably in the set. But then, like, what do you blink doesn't... There's not, like, a set-in-stone thing. Like, just any value creature is just good. Like, they could put Sun Titan if they felt like that card's a good card to blink, but, like, that doesn't necessarily mean it's in the set. It's just a bunch of good cards. That archetype is, like, a little hard to predict exactly what they're going to put in there. Yeah. But, I mean, there's there aren't a ton of value creatures, really, that are even worth money. Like, once you get past... Stoneforge, which is not eligible. Uh, I don't even I mean, know. Maybe do Kitchen Finks, but then they'd have to put more Persist cards probably in the set. Well, like there was only the two uh, Affinity cards last time, wasn't there? Uh, I think I there was Thoughtcast also. I think there were three I, commons. Well, I mean, because I remember not even thinking Affinity was in Modern Masters 2, and then you showed me those. I was like, oh, yeah, like there was no cycle for this. It wasn't like a theme. It just showed up. Yeah, Modern Masters 2 is almost like from the Vault Modern. The way everything was just sort of wedged in there. It, it felt really awkward to draft compared to Modern Masters 1. There are five affinity cards in Modern Masters 2. They were just like not things that you write home about. It was Thoughtcast, Umber, Hoverguard, Cumulox, Mirror Enforcer, and Frogmite. Those are all commons or uncommons, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's not really a theme. So, like, in that regard, it wouldn't be impossible to see uh, whatever that one card you mentioned is. Oh, Kitchen Finks. For sure, yeah. I mean, Kitchen Finks is a card that definitely needs a reprint. It's way too expensive as an uncommon. Um, just so many decks just play four of them. So it's a card that you know is good to blink and could be in the set. 
it would help to buoy the pack prices too, like it did in Modern Masters One, where it was like an eight dollar uncommon. Yeah. Yeah, no. it fits too. They said it's a really heavy multicolor set. Yeah, which is why we have so much mana fixing. I think is the Trilands are no longer good to pull out of bulk. It's what the four three print for these Trilands now. We've had them in dual decks and Alara in the commander sets, and now we're getting them for Modern Masters. Three now, Jason might disagree because he knows exactly what to pull out that Bilister dimes and all that. But I just don't think it's worth pulling out these tricolored lands anymore from your when you're picking collections. Well, the the confidence is not only undermined by how many times they've printed them, but they've expressed willingness to really print those a lot. So when it was just when it was just like Scars Trilands, yeah, those were a snap pickup, and then they announced they were getting the other cycle, and everyone thought, yeah, those will be sick too, and then. It just never really materialized because they sort of signaled they were willing to put them in just about any set they needed to. And they're great mana fixing, but like, yeah, they're like dimes at this point, I think, going forward. You know, like the Vivids were almost money, and then that never really happened either. Yeah, like, they were like two bucks or something, weren't they? Yeah, for a while, but they just they put them in too much, and that's fine. You know, Probably you'd be better for that stuff to be really accessible for people who can't afford fetch shock. Uh, Dual that mana bases, and there's still cards that are like that that you pick and then you wait for a year from to go up. But it's your stuff like Ash Barons now. It's not stuff like those Trilands because those can go in anything. So I think the stuff that's a a little more relegated to uh, specific formats. That's why Thought Vessel was such a good pick, you know, because you're not going to jam Thought Vessel in in Modern or Legacy or even like casual players don't really play a ton of grow your hand big so edh specific stuff that's only in those in like one edh set every year or two years it is the new stuff like that that's in a standard set you know it's like the new trilands you just gotta kind of shift what you're picking i think and that's the three dollar common that no one knows is worth three dollars for our oh listeners. yeah which yeah, card yeah. is it thought, thought vessel vessel it's a mana rock that gives you no maximum hand size yeah this is one where players will just not think about it at all when they're selling you collections, and it's just free money every time you see them. I will admit to not knowing that that was $3. Well, that's why people listen to our cast, to make money, right? Um, something that we do need to touch on if we want our listeners to make money is the Fetchland reprint. Um, you know, There's a lot of people that I saw that were saying, hey... I'm going to buy a box, I'm going to open all these fetches, and then I'll make my money back and be happy. But uh, buying a box still seems like a trap. You can buy these fetches for way cheaper. Um, I think the thing to discuss is whether or not this is going to be a temporary uh, decline in price, or it'll stay low enough where you can't buy a bunch of these when they hit their bottom, hold them for a couple years, and then sell them for a fridge in the future. Do you guys think that picking these up at their low will be a good idea in trade or cash? Or do you think that the amount of product that we're going to see out is more than the amount of demand of the people that have been waiting for eight years at this point to pick up fetches? There's no chance that these things come anywhere close to what the cons of Tarkir Freshlands are worth right now without a standard legal printing, which I don't really think is necessarily still out of the realm of possibility at this point. So I like... If you're gonna play modern and you need these fetch lands, like I would say, probably look to pick them up either the weekend of release or the week after, after we see like where their prices kind of fluctuate to. But past that, I'm not like super into getting them. I think they're they're 
being put in this set so to help sell it because obviously that looks a lot better than five bulk rares in those slots but you, you could have them again in the fall like it's not unheard of especially after last year for wizards of the coast to reprint the same cards multiple times in the year even in like consecutive sets i mean the fetch lands are obviously not nearly as likely to have that happen but i don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility that we get these in the fall with new art in the fall set or whatever I think if they're thinking about the set they want to be where Frontier is right now, because they're not going to just take Frontier, they're going to do their own thing. But they they know that there needs to be a set in that gap. And Morrow has pretty much indicated when they do their Frontier variant, they really don't want fetches in it. And uh, I, I think that they're less likely to print it in standard if, they're, if they have an eye toward that, what that's going to look like. But it could be like another... could be like another five years before they were put something in that slot, whatever their frontier set's going to be. But even then, like, where do they start? Are they going to start after this year's fall set? That doesn't make sense. It, Origins is a good place to start. You know, everything with the holograph is legal in in, uh, in frontier, whatever they call it. Yeah, I think that's probably a really good cutoff point. They'll let it go for a few years. They might not even call the new format, honestly. They might just say, guess what? Modern has a new identity. Like, modern is not all modern border sets. Modern is now the latest non-rotating growing format that we've established. Um, but, you know, even I, I agree that I don't think they want to put fetches in standard because those are, uh, they just lead to unhealthy gameplay and it's slow no matter what, even if you don't have like the dual ends in the block. I don't think this means that they won't put them in standard. They still could, even though I don't think I love them. Because if they do do Frontier or some variant thereof, uh, they could just start with them banned. They could say, okay, we're just banning these right from the get-go. Sorry, guys. I mean, that's that's also another thing that they could do. I'm, I'm just not totally sold that Wizards of the Coast has like been thinking about any kind of new format for a significant amount of time enough to to take these out of the equation. Like, if they were going to put Fetchlands in the fall set, they would have decided more than probably two years ago. Were they thinking about a new format at that point in time? Probably not. I think the biggest uh, issue addressing Fetchlands here is if people are going in thinking that they're buying boxes at like, you know, 190, 200, whatever, and they think they can actually make money back opening it, I think I think that's fundamentally the problem that people are going to have. Um, I don't think people realize that with these mass reprint sets, uh, Eternal Masters, Mar Masters, 2015, etc., is if you don't already own the card, by the time you being the average modern player played a few years whatever by the time you do own the card it's not going to be worth anywhere close to what it was like that obviously that was a huge barrier right people needing like missy reinforces for infect for the catacombs for infect for the catacombs for john etc right that was a big part of what was holding people back and now that you know like willy-nilly i can just go down to a store open up a pack and get you know a for the catacombs right there's there's just not gonna be value in it anymore especially like due to like how widely available it was like before mass drop shut off their uh pre their orders they sold 1700 boxes right that like that like these aren't going to be rare and i think people really do underestimate how much supply you're adding to a market at this point and how quickly that's just going to completely devalue these cards and two other points I want to touch on is the general consensus for most advanced plus shops is around 200 boxes at this point per shop. 
if you went through your your uh, your distributor that you know it was basically how much do you want and then the numbers come the numbers are coming out that how much you want is essentially 200 boxes a shop around that above or above or below uh, the other thing that uh, we should probably touch on that a video came out is uh, one of our guests, two of our guests actually had a conversation with Ed and I, a uh, rogue deck builder who owns Gone Rogue Games in Utah, and Paul Fudo of uh, MTG Deals. Uh, we were talking about the multiplier on Modern Masters cards, and it's really not that much higher than the normal card themselves. You're looking at multipliers that are barely above one for a lot of these foils. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when you know, people start to buy, start to just en masse crack all these boxes that all these shops have. And we're talking 200 boxes per shop, which is a lot of product. And then they're going to try to sell the foils that they open to make their money back. And I think this will be, if you've been looking to foil anything that's going to be in the set, this will be the best opportunity ever. Not necessarily from a financial perspective where you will see gains on it, but the cheapest foils you're ever going to be able to buy compared to the regular cards. As it's just based off the supply. And yeah, Jim, if you want to say something about this. Just to, just to make it clear, um, I don't know what printing process they're going to use for Modern Masters 2017, but if it's the same one as Modern Masters 2015, the foils are garbage. They are the worst possible foils that you can get. And it's really disappointing. I have foil sets of Fulminator Mage, Opal, and Karn, and Amrakal from MM2, and they're... I mean, they're foil, but I agree. They're not nearly as crisp as the pack foils and all of those were. For sure. Like, like you can see how much people prefer the original foilings, even if they're the same art. If you go look at the, the foil titans, like a foil Kozilek from Rise of the Eldrazi is almost, I think, twice as much money as a MM15 uh, version of that because the foiling process is just garbage. To be fair, cube players and EDH players have a unnatural disposition to the first edition print foil. It's true, but, which 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 is part of that. But this the same art, so at some point it becomes more about just how it looks and not necessarily just the fact that it has a different set symbol. One of the things that I think this reprint by Wizards in a limited ed edition set shows is. Um, and franchise players who own a lot of cardboard are going to profit the most. I think we're finally going to see dual lands go up because we just have a major barrier to legacy uh, as far as perfect mana bases is gone. And I think we're going to see a new demand for these dual lands that have sort of crept back from their highs since Journey the Knicks. Hey, Travis, you know, you're shaking your head on the live cast. Uh, do you want to sort of have a rebuttal for this? Uh, I mean, I, it's it's possible that you're not completely wrong. I mean, but when you talk about a, re, uh, a resurgence on the duels, are we talking like 5%, 20%? What are you thinking? I'm going to say right now you can buy a Volcanic Island for 190 to 200 for lightly played. I And that's just like online. I don't know what Ed pays on them and sells them for. I think we see Volcanic go up to 225 just as a measure. I think we're going to see a 10% gain across the board. I mean, 10% is fairly minor in the scheme of things. So like that's possible. But I mean, to me, it's, you know, how many legacy decks are you looking to build where the fetches were the problem? Right, it was like not only do you sell the duels, which are going to be expensive no matter what. They all have, for the most part, fairly pricey cards. A lot of them do, you know. So I just I don't see that 
fetches going from 80 to 40 is people going, oh, now I can play Legacy. Like the $250 Volcanic Island wasn't the problem. It was the $80 called Intarn that I'm now paying 40 for. Uh, with all due respect, Legacy has never been cheaper to play at this point relative to a couple years ago. Uh, Eternal Masters just drastically reduced the cost barrier, and now we're getting Fetchland reprints. There's almost nothing outside of reserveless cards. If we get Liliana of the Veil, that is that expensive to pick up right now. And where is this playing Legacy? I mean, I agree with you. It, the problem is those reserveless cards still exist. They're still a key part of the format. But that's what I'm saying is we'll see pressure on those to go up. Uh, Jason, did you want to say something? Yeah, where are people playing Legacy exactly? Uh, we got 73 for a Winamox. We are capped for our Winna Lotus. We are capped again for our second Winna Lotus tournament, and I had to just pick up four Lotuses to keep up with demand. No, I, so. I get that. Like The fact that you are holding tournaments means that people are hungry for it, but the fact that Wizards and Star City don't seem to want to support it means people are playing those tier tournaments, but I don't think anyone's super excited if they live more than two hours away from St. Louis. Oh yeah, and we for to be fair, we do have people that are driving six hours in for these tournaments. Um, you know, it's not just local player base that is supporting this turnout. Um, but I think that this will help as far as the casual legacy scenes, where you know you have a shop in the middle of nowhere and they get ten people a week for legacy. You might see them grow another two to three players, and those players need to buy duels. Or at least we'll build some cheap deck like Black Red Reanimator, which itself brought Reanimate up a ton of money. Uh, and, you know, I might be wrong. I'm definitely not perfect on a lot of my calls that I make. Um, I would but, like it if Legacy grew, certainly. I'm not, I'm not rooting against it. I just, I'm, I just wish somebody were supporting it on the level that they need to be. Yeah, and I will chime in with Jason for the umpteenth time that I do not hate Legacy. I just think that it's got... It's got a very limited lifespan. At this point, it's got a limited wingspan. The places you see vintage are the places you'll see legacy, and not much more than that. Yeah, it's it's really like the the biggest problem with legacy is not so much the non-reserveless cards. Like it doesn't really matter how much those cost because those are pretty readily available. You can get them eventually. It's just like there's only little pockets of the players that play legacy that exist to begin with, and it's really hard for them to grow outside of that. Like, if you just want to go to a new city that doesn't have anybody that plays Legacy, it's extremely difficult to get enough people to play consistently every week compared to Modern or Standard, where all the cards are readily available. There just isn't enough dual lands, and people just perceive that as too much of a barrier to get in. So it doesn't matter how much the rest of the deck costs. Like, if you need eight blue duels to play your deck, and the rest of the cards cost basically nothing, it's still too much money for some people and still too hard for them to get those cards to really see a, uh, a significant increase in the number of people that are playing the format or buying the duels or whatever. And I think the biggest thing, like I've mentioned this before, right? Like it's, it's very different for me to open up a pack of Eternal Masters, get a Force of Will and say, I want to build a legacy deck as opposed to opening up a pack of Nara Masters 2017, getting a Liliana of the Veil, Oh, and like building John is realistic. I can probably trade with people. Like if I get some Liliana Veils, get some Vernon Catacombs, building John is not too terribly expensive at that point. But like Jim said, right? If I, I can ha I can open up a set of Force of Wills and getting like eight blue eight blue duels to build, you know, miracles, like that that's not real realistic at all. Even though all the fetches are now like obtainable, Senses Divine Top has gone down, Force of Will has gone down, all these things have gone down. But the the duels are not necessarily more affordable 
in comparison to how much like all the rest of Jund would be, or you know, some similarly expensive modern deck. And Jund is by far the most egregious example of like an expensive modern deck, um, because realistically, if you if you want to play something like you know, Dredge like before it got banned, it wasn't terribly expensive. Golgari Grave Troll went up, Copperline Gorge went up, but that's relatively trivial in terms of how much like you know the day to day workings of legacy duels and whatnot. Another aspect of this that I'm thinking about now is when Legacy went through its boom and got really popular, there was no meaningful format other than Standard, right? Like you had Standard, Extended existed, but nobody was playing it except for PPTQ seasons. It didn't have a uh, fan base behind it. So if you wanted to do something other than Standard, even EDH was really quiet at the time. There wasn't much to it. So it's like if you didn't play Standard, you played Legacy. But now it's like, well, you've got a huge, robust, right, right, with PTQs, right, 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 uh, PPTQs. But, um, you know, that was a limited type time thing, and you didn't have that all year round. Stores weren't running extended events like that. So now you have, if you don't play standard, you have EDH, you have um, uh, Modern, I mean, which is a huge deal. And then there's also Legacy. So it's, it's not even like Legacy got bad. It was more, or, or anything else, it was just there are more options, so people aren't forced into that road where they were in the past. Yep, and these are all valid points. You know, I might be completely wrong. I just personally think duels are go will go up, though I'm not going to buy them out to prove my point, obviously. You know, I'm beating Jim every week on this spreadsheet anyway, so it's fine. Uh, and thanks to uh, Papu MTG for keeping track of our picks of the week every week. Now, you know, there is a lot of money that's going to change hands with Modern Masters 2017. Ed, are, are you and pretty much every other person on the circuit just going to throw as much money at these fetches as you can at the next GP when the set starts getting opened? Absolutely not. Right. I think like the demand will be there, but like with modern, like it's, it's hard to say that modern has a limited lifespan, but there's uncertainty in it. Right. Like two or three years ago, modern was like modern, 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 right? Like it's like one week, like fetches go up next week, like blood moon goes up next week. Arkbound voucher goes up. Right. Like these were types of trends that suggested like, wow, there was a lot of demand for modern. And now I think modern, it, like you still have people excited for it. Obviously like, you know, GP Vancouver last weekend was great. Like there's a, a GP in Brisbane, um, SCG Indie sold out. Like I'm not saying modern is dying, but I think there's more people who are substantially less excited about modern now that compared to a few years ago. And I think that might be an issue of the formats aging. There are, there are new, how to put it? There are new things that have kind of captivated uh, modern players, like whether it be Frontier, whether it just like be like newer players just like gravitate towards standard, gravitate towards limited. Like the the same like boon for modern isn't there, right? Like that's that's just a function of like law growth, right? Like it's not sustainable to have just like exponentially increasing growth over time. At some point, it's going to level out, right? And while I don't necessarily think like we have a limited lifetime on modern. The fact that it's uncertain makes it a little bit harder for people to necessarily want to buy in if they don't already. Realistically, most modern players probably own everything they need to play whatever they want modern with a few interchangeable cards. But like, like, am I gonna go out and buy every single fetch land I like out there? Like, it's gonna be on my buy list. I'll buy the ones I see because they'll just always ship through TCG player. But I don't feel the need to just like try and hoard them in mass or go crazy with them like we have. At, as of the past Mar Masters Grand Prix, where all the vendors in one room in one spot, they could raise the buy list on Tarmogoyce, and it would just cause Tarmogoyce to go up, even though there were new 
there are new copies being input into the market from the, just pack opening. And also, we've never had modern where everyone is dying on turn two and turn three. You know, people say that's what legacy is, but I'm seeing way more turn two kills in modern right now than I've ever seen in legacy. I think it's a really easy to solve problem. It just hasn't been addressed yet. How much longer is modern even going to do what they want modern to do, which is be the bridge for people to keep their standard cards instead of selling them at rotation? Just keeping them and uh, playing them for a little bit longer. Like, how much longer is Modern going to actually accomplish that when we're 20 years away from uh, all the stuff in Mirrodin Block at you know, a certain point? Well, I mean, they, uh, you know, what is it like the last seven standard sets in a row have had pretty meaningful impacts on Modern. So they're doing a pretty good job of making people's cards relevant in that format. Yeah, it's sort of, it's almost like you build in eras for Modern. You know, like a lot of times you're like, well, all this stuff was from these blocks that were designed to work together and that they do work together. You're not playing a ton of cards from all over modern the way you do with Legacy. Jim, did you want to say something there? Um, not, not really. Yeah, no, oh, I'm sorry. That's rude. Yeah, all right. Sweet. Uh, no, I was just kind of just uh, going to agree with Travis. Like, they've done a pretty good job of keeping your standard cards relevant by just printing cards that are good and modern. I think, like, so, sorry, I, I think another concern is, like, with how they're kind of wielding the ban hammer now. Like, we have, we've doubled the number of times that cards can get unbanned, unbanned a year. Um so March 13th, in case people like didn't carefully follow the first ban-restricted announcement, they're going to add a second banning period um, following the Pro Tour kind of as a way to adjust mid-season, right? And if Wizards is is going to be using, you know, kind of like the like ban shotgun more liberally, as it were, right? I think that just adds more concern to the market. This is something I've brought up before. And I recently, I think one of the Grand Prix I was at, I, brought, I bought a collection from someone who basically, I met him some time ago, actually. He was looking to buy into Magic. And at this point, he basically sold out his collection. He says, like, you know, I can't keep up with Magic anymore. He doesn't play enough for, you know, standard cards to be relevant. He doesn't want to own, like, a very expensive modern deck. And he said, like, well, like, not too long ago, I was looking to buy into, like, uh, Black Man Delirium and Modern. I bought the Embercools. I bought the Smuggler's Copters. And the fact that he took a huge hit uh, from his collection value-wise due to his bannings, I think that's a pretty substantial feel-bad moment, right? Like, like bannings, it's meant to be used to keep the formats healthy, but I think for political reasons, like both within Wizards and from among the rest of us, it's not something that they can just go around and just, oh, ban this, like, unban this type thing, because that's just going to cause way too much chaos in the, actual, in the actual market itself and how kind of formats play out. I do wonder if they will try and make a point of banning uncommons that support broken strategies rather than the rares and mythics themselves just for that reason. Like uh, instead of banning Emrakul, maybe they could have banned, I don't know, one of the commons or uncommons that fueled that strategy. So it's like, oh, well, your Emrakul obviously got worse, but we don't know how much worse, so the price isn't cratered, whereas banning the Emrakul is just like, that's it. You think they are doing this to give themselves the freedom to push the power level during design? Because I kind of think if they feel like they have more outs, they were gonna be a little less timid with the way they design stuff. Uh, yeah, because I... they they would they want to adjust on the fly rather than be too conservative. Because I, I think they're trying to come up with 
ways to get the the cards selling like they used to a year or two ago. And I don't know. I, I think maybe they're going to try to juice the power level and be a little bit freer to make mistakes. It's it's hard to know what they're thinking from a design standpoint. But this just seems like they're giving themselves more outs, and uh, it's not just for keeping the format healthy. Almost. Yeah, I agree with that. And the other thing is, uh, you know, we've gotten masterpieces to try to artificially keep up with the amount of packs that were sold during the giant growth years of Magic, where pretty much everyone made a killing, including Watsi. Uh, so now we have we have Zendikar fetches in a set that probably didn't even need them to sell. And then the question becomes, well, what the hell are they going to put in Omnicat and forward to match these sales numbers? So that's sort of the worrying thing, in my opinion. I think Amon I guess they're banking on the gods being popular, right? Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I think that Amonkit can sell itself just by being an Egyptian mythology set that just isn't Theros, hopefully. Like, just isn't full of garbage cards like Theros was. I think Jason does kind of bring up a good point, though. I think, like, we've kind of seen some of the bigger flaws in design uh, in the past few years. Like, I think it's been more egregious in terms of a balance between hey let's let's push the power level of the set because we actually you know want our set to sell versus hey let's actually design like a good like a good quality magic set which i feel like kind of has been by the wayside like i think kaladesh has kind of pushed the envelope in terms of what power level is actually accepted like acceptable for standard and aether vault um i think someone wrote an article about it and of all the top played decks in standard right now Kaladesh and Aether Revolt make up quite literally like 80% of the cards. Shadows over Innistrad and Battle for Zendark are just completely trivial cards at this point. So this second ban period, like whether or not that's going to be good is probably, like Jason said, going to be more of an issue of, hey, we have this ban like hammer we can use. Like, you know, if we use this somewhat liberally, this allows us to kind of push things like, oh, we want vehicles to be good. Right? How do we sell a set? We make a busted vehicle at rare, and then in the next set we make a busted vehicle mythic, and that's and and that's and that's how you sell a set. And having the ban hammer kind of allows them to alleviate the issue without having to necessarily knock back the power level of the set. I think the biggest mistake that they've made recently is the lack of efficient removal spells. I think that has been more of a cause of a problem than anything else because. When we were in the Return to Ravnica, like, what was it Return to Ravnica? Innistrad is like what people say is a lot of like the golden age of standard, like, or the last golden age of standard. Like, everyone played standard. It was great. Nobody had any complaints. We all jammed all the decks that we wanted. Even though there were a lot of Thrag Tusks, you, you could go still do the thing that you wanted to do. It wasn't like overbearingly bad. And I think a lot of the reason that that was like that was because you had a good balance between efficient threat cards and efficient answer cards and there was some back and forth and you weren't just like immediately dead because you missed a land drop or your land came into play tapped or you had the wrong color land on one turn in the first three turns of the game like that's just not a thing that happened at that point in time and you were unlikely to die because you just kept a, like a little bit of a slower hand or you didn't draw quite exactly the way you needed to and maybe it, we've just like really lost a lot of the catch-up mechanics that were popular at that point in time. And I think they've they've realized that and I think in the future we will have less of those problems 
because they will print answers that make sense with the threats that were given. Like, I think it was Sam Stoddard like explained that basically they wanted to curb the amount of artifact removal in the set because they didn't want it to be like Mirrodin where everyone played all artifacts and like shatters were just generally good against everybody or supposedly good against everybody because they wanted you to be able to play with the new cards. But I think they went too far in that direction where they like made the new cards just impossible to kill with the exception of very few select cards like Fatal Push, which is good, but like Fatal Push and Shock uh, is not enough to keep like Heart of Kieran from blowing everybody up or Smuggler's Copter or whatever. Like they probably also needed to have like a Disenchant variant for two mana or whatever or a Naturalize because those cards just don't exist. Like those are usually corset cards that we just have for a long time, but without the corset, I don't know if they really understood what limited number of answers that we have for things and even like unconditional removal spells just also don't really exist that much like if we had like heroes downfall or something along those lines like an instant speeds card that's flexible and powerful it just was a little expensive like there would be ways to get out of this mess where like everything seems to be just too good like all the threat cards just seem to be too good and if you don't play use all your mana every turn and play the best thing that you can on every turn that you play then you just lose Holy so, monologue. Yeah, that was really I mean, good, though. It, I mean, like, it's just it's just like a design thing, and I think the pendulum swung a little too far in one direction, and I think they're aware of that, and they'll fix it in the future. Yeah, it, you make an interesting point about them not having a core set. It's been a while, and it seems like they still haven't adjusted to not having the core set to print boring stuff. Because Mana League's boring, you know? But, like, you need you need that. So where do you put it if you don't put it in the core set? So I mean, they're like, podcasts, but we got to do it every week. Ew. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it, it's not even just, like, it's it just, like, things that seem very trivial that we've just always had just don't exist right now. Like, Duress is not in standard. Naturalize is not in standard. Those cards have been in standard all of the time, forever and ever and ever. Like, we have Negate because they printed it, I think, in Oath of the Gatewatch, just, like, randomly. But... That card also might be leaving standard soon if they don't print it again. Um, oh, it's also an Aether Revolt. My bad. Yeah, can you imagine how different like Kamigawa block would have been if we had to play Rend Flesh in our decks because we didn't have a core set? It's interesting. Yeah, to it, think it, about. It's, it's almost like they forgot that we need those cards. Yeah, like we don't have any like really reasonable like red burn spells. Like we don't have like a lightning strike kind of card either, or like incinerate, like Shock is the best thing that we have, and that's really pitiful. And there's also no shatter cards. Like, red doesn't have a two-mana kill target artifact card. I just don't know how the, we got to this point through an entire artifact block. It's pretty funny when you consider that they've talked about trying to seed answers, and then now there aren't any. Yeah, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what happened. Like, I remember they had shatter in Cons of Tarkir, which had, like, three artifacts in the whole set. And every time you open one in a booster pack, you're like, man, there's another 14th pick right there. But in this set where, like, it would make sense because you could, like, shatter your opponent's vehicle. Maybe shatter would be too good, though. I mean, two-mana kill a vehicle that still doesn't kill all the guys that crew it. Like, you, there's yeah. still, like, a balance that you have to, you know, figure no, out. No, but it kills the Aetherworks Marvel, too. So now you're good against, like, aggro and combo with one card. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a designer, so... 
Well, I'm, I'm like those card. That card exists in other colors, which is the problem. Like you just are pigeonholed into playing very specific colors for the very specific answers that you want. Like you can kill vehicles with fatal, fatal push, and you can blow up Aetherworks Marvel or vehicles with uh, the one mana white card that I don't remember the name of. Fragmentize. Yeah, fragmentize can kill those things, but like. You just don't have a general, like, efficient way to kill an artifact, and that just feels really weird and awful. And I think that if we had it, it'd be less bad. So, what do you guys think that the fetches are going to drop to? Fifteen for Marsh Flats and thirty-four or twenty-five to thirty for Scolding Tarn. You think twice as much on Tarn? Yeah. It's yeah, kept blowing I, it. Yeah, as I say, Scalding Tart is definitely going to be the most expensive, and I think uh, Marsh Flats is definitely going to be the least expensive. Uh, I think that Verdant Catacombs and Misty Rainforest will not be significantly less expensive than Scalding Tart. I, I used to say that was my snap answer, but that, a lot of that was predicated on Legacy, and I think... I don't know, with uh, with there being fewer reasons to play... Uh, to play non-red blue decks in, in modern. I don't know, man. I I think I need a second look at because I would have snapped said Verdant will be almost as much as, you know, Misty, and now it's it's hard to say because I don't know what modern's doing to it versus what modern plus legacy did, which was more predictable. And the thing with these new fetches is you really don't want to Misty uh, the low point in order to get in because, you know, Ed's, Ed's may not necessarily want to um, buy as many as far as like, because he's spending tens of thousands of dollars every week on cards. But for the average listener, I mean, you're going to want to watch, especially the first release weekend that Saturday or Sunday, uh, you're going to want to watch TCG like a hawk to see exactly how low these go and where the vendor's confidence as far as buy lists are. So did you realize that you put a pun in there? Hmm? I don't know what you're talking about. Because nobody else reacted, and I'm like, I can't tell if Jeremy knew that he said that or if he totally walked into that. <laughs> I yeah, put a gun in shatter, my mouth. Sorry <laughs> to shatter your expectations, Travis, but there are going to be puns on this cast. Yeah. It's pun-believable. Um, you know what sucks? I own, like, 25 Zendikar foil fetches, and they didn't even have the decency to use new art. If they had used new art, it would be okay. But this is just such a dagger for people who own the original one. And then it doesn't really do any favors for people who don't have them yet because now they still only have one to choose from. It feels like putting new art on cards like this is just good for everyone, people who already own them and people who don't have them. Oh, and stop putting they... new art on the Invitational winner's cards. That's disrespectful. Well, see, th th there's, there's a bunch of reasons for that stuff. First of all, it costs money to make new art. So they'd have to commission five new pieces of art for the five lands, and I don't necessarily know if they would want to do that or if it would be worth the amount of money that they'd have to spend. Second of all, I think that keeping the Invitational cards special on their first printing by not repeating the player's art, I think, is better. So, like I said earlier, like months ago, if you want the Tiago Chans, not Caster Mages, then you should just buy them. You know, I get not uh, I get not wanting to pay for new art. Like, I wouldn't expect them to make new art for Stoic Angel or Damirad, but, like, the fetches, like, that's a banner card. And you know that that's the one people are going to feel in, the, in their pocketbooks when you reprint it. What if they're being reprinted with new art in the full set? 
Uh, that we could spend a whole hour suck. talking about what could and what could not happen, but we really need to move on from you know rampant quiet speculation on the cast. No, I want to complain about fetches all damn night. All right. Yeah. Um. So you know, the, most of this cast has been talking about Modern Masters 2017 and all these reprints and how standard isn't as good as it used to be. Um, but, you know, we did bring Jason on for a reason other than to just sort of vent, I guess you could say. Um, these last couple of years, and I think we touched on this a little bit last time you were on the cast, Jason, uh, the only real moneymaker has been casual cards. You know, you, you've sort of solidified your, your spot as the casual guy when it comes to EDH, and, you know, now you write for EDH Rec and all these other things. Um, I don't people, I don't write there. I'm the, I'm the content manager. That could change yes. right now. I'm, that's one of the only websites on the internet I don't write for. You've solidified yeah. yourself as a filthy casual. <laughs> right. So I'm my the guy that sells cards to filthy casuals. <laughs> right. I, I am the filthy casual now. So my question is, uh, up until Atraxa came out, really, and then shortly after when people finally started listening to the Brainstorm Brewery feed again and reading people's articles, uh, everyone's starting to sort of uh, circle jerk or admit, as far, as far as like a hive mind goes, huh, casual finance is right. I should probably buy casual finance. You know, I should probably buy all these casual cards because I will get a good return. And now that we're seeing these MTG finance people that are used to getting great returns on modern cards or on standard cards, and that's starting to change as we get either masterpieces or we just see modern start to fall off price-wise, do you think that there's going to be too many speculators in the market as far as casual cards are concerned? Because everyone is starting to sort of create an echo chamber for EDH? That would imply that people listen to my advice, which I don't know. <laughs> I got Patreons that are still like, man, I didn't think you were right about this card, and it, it turns out. So I don't know if I don't know if we're making that persuasive a case. But even if we do, and even if the major focus of, of like the armchair finance community seeps in and only focuses on EDH, I think the effect will be diluted by the fact that there are so many possible cards. You know, there there's so many targets in a format like that. Uh, there are there are still reserve list cards in EDH that matter, um, but I mean there's a there's so many more opportunities that I think it's not like this is going to go up this weekend. You know there are, there were fewer events. You know what I mean by event? Not like a playing event, but like an event that would change a price. Like the printing and spoiling and illegality of uh, Commander 2016. Those were events. So there were fewer things like that that uh, you know predicate these price changes. Like when they spoiled Leopold, that's going to make a couple prices go up. But when you have uh, a big set, that makes a ton of different things happen. So I think the fact that there are so many different targets means that the the effect of the a number of armchair speculators is going to be diluted. So you're not going to see it be as crazy as it was with uh, with stuff like Legacy when you know. Legacy is like, oh, there's a best deck, and we only need one new card, so everybody go get that one new card. You know, it's it, not everybody's gonna scramble like they did to get uh, True Name Nemesis when it's, you have a whole bunch of decks come out. It seems to me that when we're talking about like 
how echo chambery and how dramatic the sort of finance crowd in general can be. It's, it has it is most pronounced when it comes to modern speculation. So I don't know if no people noticed it, but right of passage increased something like fifteen hundred percent over the last couple of days. Uh, this is a three mount enchantment from like the Mirrodin or Kamigawa block that combos with walking ballista and like hardened skills. And I mean, it might be good, might not be good, who cares? But it's like one person talks about it on Twitter, a couple people pick it up and like retweet and tell each other. And suddenly all the same people are rushing to buy this card. And meanwhile, nobody outside of that, you know, small couple thousand Twitter people even are aware that this is going on you know, as opposed to EDH where people are buying and playing with these cards all the time. And like, we're just sort of, I mean, we're, we're not having an impact on the market in the same way there. I mean, sometimes people can ruin like one card. Like what, what was that? Chain bill. What's that? Chain bill. I mean, sure. But I mean, if I told people about chain bill a year before, like if you didn't just slowly pick them up, then you weren't speculating. You were just building decks, and like EDH players kind of get a little upset when they see a price went up. But like, I think they understand why it happened because people are buying it. You know, you can't just like you can't ruin a price forever on an EDH card if no one wants it. Like, you're just you're gonna end up selling them for five bucks when you bought an eight, just because you know you were you were the 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 greater fool there when someone picked them all up at a quarter. What was that? I think it's. Not Ritual of Subduel. It was that that card that everyone's like, oh, this is an EDH card. Plus, it got, you know, it was in an SCG deck tech because somebody in, like, the last Legacy tournament ever was beating Eldrazi with it. It makes all mana tap for the, the same color. Like, that went up from $0.25 cents to, like, $25. And I was like, no. What format was it? It was EDH and Modern. Or EDH oh. and Legacy. Oh, but it was a Modern. It was a Legacy card. It wasn't Contamination? No, no, it was uh, it was a green card. I, I it's like a uh, Hall of Gemstones or something. Oh like that. yeah, yeah. It yeah. is Hall of Gemstones. And I was like, you know, uh, you could have made the same amount of money just making the safer, non-idiotic bet that hey, squandered resources is going to go up because of the Get Rock Monster. So both of those cards were in the same block. They were both a quarter, but one of them went from twenty-five cents to twenty-five dollars to three dollars, and one of them went from twenty-five cents to seven dollars. And I was telling everyone, stay away from all the gemstones or whatever. Go buy squandered resources for the same amount of money. And you, I, I mean, no one was buying at 25. So the people that bought it at 12 ate it. So I don't know why you wouldn't just make the safe plays based on your actual gut as opposed to the, the circle jerky stuff that you see tweeted. You know, and the other thing is you look at a lot of the get drug monster stuff and it, it really hasn't gone back down. In fact, it's actually towed the line lately. Um, and so there's, I just hate basically... you. <laughs> I heard that. And so basically there's just, you know, there's a lot of good things with all these new commander decks that we'll never see coming like a Traxa or Brea even, you know, which you've talked about a bunch and you called curtain call on this cast, which has definitely gone up quite a bit. Um, I, it's just interesting to me to see the echo chamber of uh, the MTG finance community be like, oh, well, for those of they us don't who play have been EDH. In it, what? They don't play EDH. That's why. They don't, they want to, they think a lot of these armchair speculators are people that like are PTQ grinders and they, they think they're really good at magic. So, like, their instinct on what cards are playable is, uh, is the gauge they use on whether something's going to go up. So, like, oh, that card sucks. 
I'm not gonna buy. I'm not gonna speculate on it because I, I don't think it's good. I think it's so if a, a format they're unfamiliar with playing, if they have no idea what a legacy card does or an EDH card, sorry, what, if they have no idea what the card does and what its impact will be on the format, they're less inclined to speculate just because even if someone who does know is telling them because they just have no idea. Like I had people call curtains call a bad ashes to ashes and tell me I was an idiot. So, I mean, if you, if you don't know that basically what it is, is a uh, better go for the throat. If you see it as a bad ashes to ashes, then yeah, you're not going to buy in. So I think that's why a lot of those uh, people tend to like the modern stuff more is because they think they understand that format better. And that's actually not the worst logic. You're a little bit more informed as a buyer in those cases. Jason, I will spare you the indignity of asking if you listen to Fast Finance this week, but what do you think about just snake cards in general uh, as a spec based on the revealed snake god in Amonkhet? You think there's room for snake tribal in EDH? Uh, I don't know, yeah, man, because uh, Cassetto is really good at getting stuff through unblocked. And a lot of the snakes from the Kamigawa block had that, if this hits them, ability. So I kind of think, like, if Snake Tribal had taken off, it would have already. I don't think a snake god's going to have enough support. But I've been wrong before, because they're like, oh, Innistrad, they're probably zombies. And there were, like, three zombies, and they didn't even really do anything. But, like, all the zombie lords went up. Like, no one built an EDH deck because they printed... I don't even. I can't even name a zombie from the the shadows over Innistrad block. I can't even do it. Yeah, they're, they're all really blue. Much. They're weird. Like, yeah, they're all. Yeah. Pizza and giraffe. Yeah. So, so like, yeah, I, I'm I'm sure there's like a non-zero amount of people, but like they're like, oh, we're finding getting the werewolf god, moon mist foil like quadrupled, like uh, stupid stuff like that'll go up just on speculation. But I don't know if it can really support it. And I've been like. I've been on tribal before and I've, I've whiffed pretty big. Yeah, like clerics. Yeah. Hey, yeah, man, I I was right, man. Everyone wants to play Eilie. I just thought they would play clerics, but everyone's just being like a general blue list Aloro deck. Yeah. Uh, well, my my only thought on the snake vector was that there hasn't been enough support for the tribe um, to make it worth playing them. But if you get a second block with enough snakes, it might push you up to the enough playables essentially. But so. Um, they would have to be. They would have to be mostly green, because the the Kamigawa block snakes are good. Kamigawa block has got good legendary snakes add on common too, and they mm -hmm. all have pretty good abilities that like are predicated on you hitting them. But that just pairs well with Cassetta, which gets your stuff through on blocks. So I kind of thought maybe Cassetta would be the the thing that set it off. So they would have to be very similar in nature to those cards, otherwise. If there's like a non-synergy, just because they have the same tribal affiliation, if they're trying to do different stuff, I don't know if that actually gives you enough new cards. So not only do we have to have enough snakes to uh, to support the snake god, they have to be similar enough in how they're designed to the existing snakes to even uh, make a tribal impact. So I'm I'm inclined to to bet against it, but I think there are some cards that like will go up regardless. Uh, it's not unfair. So, so, I don't know. I I really like Nature's Will isn't a snake card, but it sort of has that snake ability from Cami Block, and so, I, I I love Nature's Will and stuff like that. But I don't I don't know if like your your average like snake legendary and stuff like that stuff uh, is going to. Yeah, go I've got well. a 
I've got a pile of nature's will set aside actually, just because of the conversations we had about that before. So I think I the a, other thing. I have a question, what, real quick. Let me. Yeah, let go me for just, it. So I know we talked about the snake god like the other time, like uh, it was either last week or the week before or whatever. Uh, I'm just thinking now, like I don't know a tremendous amount about Egyptian mythology, but my impression, my my initial thought is that the snake god doesn't necessarily have snake followers. They're just other people. It's so mummies. They're... What? Mummies. For snakes. We have seen we have seen mummies. Yeah, but mummies That's are not seen. mummies are not snakes, right? Like they're not snake mummies. They're just people mummies, right? Yeah, but from my I took mythology, so you know, as a general liberal arts student, let me tell you about how much I know about everything. No, um, from what I can recall, the snake god in Egypt has nothing to do with snakes. That that is my that is my problem. Is I think that it might look like a snake, but it might be half of a snake. But I don't think there will be more than it as the only snake. Well, I don't want to harp on this for too long, but I will say that my point wasn't my original thinking wasn't oh snake god means means snake means snake followers, but snakes as a tribe fit into the Egyptian theme, and we also have a snake god. So maybe there's room for snakes in there, even if they're not specifically like you could have the, the snake guy could be black, but all the snakes show up as green. I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah. And the other thing, Travis, is it's been 10 years since we've seen snakes on a plane like Kamigawa. So you really have to watch out for that. Uh, we should probably move on. Yourself. No, that you don't get credit for that one. That one was awful. and You should feel bad. Yeah. You um, should feel worse than the people who made snakes on a plane who should also right. feel bad. I mean, honestly, after I saw snakes on a plane, I just decided to wing some puns along. Um, we should probably move on, though. Uh, sort of closing out this thought that's been bubbling for the last uh, hour, I guess you could say. Uh, so we've seen finance shift, obviously. And as, the, as Ed talked about, which was a very important concept, uh, currencies are starting to come together as far as currency arbitrage goes. And, you know, people are starting to write more about the arbitrage opportunities that are available overseas, and that market's also starting to close off. So you have all these old avenues that previously no one knew about, even that Haruya would just sell to English sellers right away. A lot of people didn't know about that before, you know, Sig wrote an article about it. I touched on it a bit on MTG Price. Um, so everyone's just chasing that next 1,300% spike. And with the growth of the game where it is, where we have nine, eight, eight dollar thought seasons at this point, like the free money is just not there anymore in all these avenues. And that's the only reason why I'm concerned about armchair speculation. And, you know, I did buy, I bought out cards before, but I, I'm probably a hypocrite for talking about armchair speculating. But I think that's something that we're going to see more of in the future, though more people will get burned. You did it today, literally today. Yeah. Well, I did it up to a certain <laughs> price point. I didn't buy out every copy like Memory Jar. So we will see. Because Memory Jar was two years ago. You know, that did, that took two years to pay off, and I got lucky on it. Yeah, it wasn't two years ago, was it? Yeah, I bought out all the From the Vault copies two years ago. Oh, that, I feel like you did that while we were doing this cast, and we haven't been doing this for two years. Yeah, uh... It feels like we've been doing this episode for two years. Yeah. Do you guys want to move into Pick of the Week? Brainstorm Brewery is like 80 hours long, okay? Every episode, so don't give me that. It's Says packed Mr. with value. Hour fast Finance. <laughs> fast Finance takes three hours, right? It does some days. Yeah. 
All right, let's move into pick of the week, unless Ed has anything else that he wants to talk about before we dive in. Nope. All right, Ed, you're going to be the first one up. Let's get you down for pick of the week. Uh, Mishra's Bubble. I think it's one of those cards that's – it's already very high. Death Shadow is taking off. I feel like it's one of those cards that is a recent modern deck in in the scale of modern. It's only really been popular since, I want to say, maybe December. That like the original Death Shadow aggro, like the Monster Swiss Spear, Step Links, uh, Gitaxian Probe, that version um, kind of took off. Uh, now we obviously there's the newer Death Shadow variant, like Death Shadow John, kind of a more mid range grind you out deck. Um, Mishra's Bauble, I don't see it being reprinted. If you want your copies, buy them now. It's a pretty big hedge. Obviously, if it's gonna be reprinted, it's gonna come back as uncommon. You stand to lose pretty big. If it doesn't, I do see it continuing to creep up in price, for up from $20, as absurd as that sounds. I would buy Mishra's Bubble. I'm actually contemplating buying out every copy of Mishra's Bubble on the internet on that hedge, because I've definitely lost more money on coin flip before. So if I really didn't think it was going to be uh, reprinted, I would probably buy it out. I'm kind of on the fence. People are already it. watching that card, though, so I feel like if they see it... I think people will follow you if you start to move the price. I think people are already talking about that. So if they notice it move, then people will help you buy the rest of the copies out. Yeah, realistically, like it's a three hundred dollar investment for me to buy every copy on TCG Player. That's not like you know a forty dollar Mishra's bubble or something. At three hundred dollars, I'm willing to risk out on a coin flip, right? Like that's you know you 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 probably like that's better odds than putting all black or something, which I have done before. So Mishra's bubble. Just to just to just to, I don't know make a a point because I just looked up like the price history for Mitchell's Bobble. Um, it's like ten dollars for like over a year. So I don't know if it's going to be a Modern Masters, but it definitely has the price history that goes back far enough that they could have put it in there because it was ten dollars. It's it's a long shot. Like again, it's uh it's definitely going to be the most expensive card in Cold Snap, and it's one of those cards where the name Mishra kind of makes it hard to just stick in whatever. Although I guess with Inquisitor's cause, like they demonstrate that they don't care about it, so it's a long shot. It's something I'm willing to hedge on. If if they do disappear from internet, you guys know who to blame. Yeah, Jeremy, obviously. <laughs> I think the guy in the finance subreddit who made a post about it will take the credit, so that'll be good. All, All right, the heat's yeah, off of you. Jim, do you want to make a prediction for this week? Yeah, I am I am thinking ahead. I'm 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 thinking that mummies will not be a creature type and that they will be zombies because that makes a lot more sense with the rest of the cards that are existing in Magic the Gathering. Uh my pick is gonna be Call to the Grave. It is one dollar. Love that card. M12? Yeah, it's an M12 and it's in Scourge. I would get the M12 copies because the Scourge one, I don't really know what's going on in the picture. I don't think it's very good. So, uh, I need to make up some lost ground. This one can probably spike if there's like a new zombie uh, legendary creature that's like better or as good as Grimgrin. Or like they could just make a black red zombie mythic or legendary guy. That'd be sweet too. That'd probably be good enough to get that card moving. I don't hate that. That's uh, 
That's a good pick. I don't. I'm sorry, guys. When it's quiet, I get real uncomfortable. And no one was saying anything. So yeah, I like that pick. I mean, you could just feel free to interrupt me next time. That's fine. If you just wanted to keep the conversation going. The reason that is that we all leave our mics muted because Jeremy complains if there's background noise, whereas you guys just yell constantly, so it's less of an issue. I would like to point out for listeners that made it this far, when Travis walked away from his camera, we heard a giant slamming door because he didn't mute his mic. So, yes, muting mics helps. There's no door for you to have heard slam, so I'm not sure what you're we referring heard something to. Like, it sounded like something tipped over, maybe. I don't know. It sounded a lot like you like slammed your knee into a table. That's also yeah. a thing that I thought I heard. Or no, a muffled gunshot. Maybe it was a muffled gun. Because Jeremy was making a bunch of puns, and I thought you just couldn't take it anymore. Ouch. That's harsh. Uh, one interesting thing to know about the zombie spec, though, it's definitely one of the more like popular casual cards. Um, just send Rolf from Eldritch Moon. Like, that card, it, you just sell infinite copies of that card. I think EDH Rec has it as like the top blue-black commander, or like one of the top like most popular blue-black commanders. Um I remember uh, one of the GPs I was at, someone actually sold like probably like 100 plus copies of them. They, they tried to spec on them and it, it didn't pan out. And when we got back to shop after the GP and put them all online, I think they literally all sold like within a week. Um, and I, I, I think like Jason mentioned, it just goes to show like how evergreen casual is. Like they're the type of people, they don't care like, oh, like, you know, like Grand Prix Louisville happened, like Leavold went up. Like that doesn't happen in Commander. People will just slowly buy out these cards over time because they don't care, right? Like if they want like a blue black zombie deck, they're going to buy the cards for a blue black zombie deck. It doesn't matter how old it is, right? It's like, oh, this card looks cool in my deck. I'm going to buy it. And they're kind of they're more impulsive, I guess. Like if you show an EDH player, you know, like Jason, I'm sure like you mentioned that your shop was your you had more EDH players. I'm sure you can test this. If you show someone, hey, this card will be good in your deck, more than likely you'll just get quick sale because if they haven't seen before, the effect is cool, they'll probably buy it for their deck and not necessarily care about the price. Travis, do you want to make a pick for the week? Um <clears throat> yeah, I'm gonna pick uh Rite of Passage four days ago. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, the closest thing that I can think of today, like, uh, cause if you think about the modern master spoiler, like you see Grove and horizon are both locked out. So those are plausible, but they're really big investments and they're kind of risky. You're, already gone. You're too late on those. Although those are, well, Grove's not gone, right? It's 50. It was 20 this morning. Uh, well, I mean, there's $35 copies of the FTV one. So I'm low, sure. But. I'm I'm just saying like it's already doubled at this point, so it's probably not a good pick. I would really love to see the Grove FTV copies really move because I picked up like five of them at like fifty five dollars a piece when they were like ninety American, and then by the time I got my hands on them, they crashed. So spike again. Uh, Sounds like you landed in a bad situation. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna go with Ink Moth Nexus, but it's sort of it's sort of tentative, right? Like if it if it doesn't get back into the meta then the price stays where it is. But if you see Infinity start to show up again uh, with meaningful results, if Monk's Opal doesn't get banned, that could easily be a $50 card without a reprint. So that's sort of a, a little risky, um, but the, the, the potential is there. Jason? See, I'm glad I'm not playing your game with people tracking it because a lot of the, the picks I'm making lately are long-term, but they're just dumb, obvious stuff. 
Like I said, Primal Vigor at like five bucks for years, and everyone's like, it's still five bucks, asshole. Now it's thirty. So I, uh, I kind of think. Cast. What's up? Cast seventeen. <laughs> What's up? It's seventeen, not thirty. Primal Vigor. Where are you seeing that? Uh, on TCG Player. Still from five. I was, be, I was just being a pain in the ass. That was no, it. that's fine. I, I, I just looked it up somewhere else. It's not a big deal. Um, whatever it is, it's not five, right? So, yeah. If you can get them for seventeen, you tripled up. Uh, I kind of think Mind's Dilation is one of those obvious cards that it's just it's going to take forever. You know, I think. Um, I don't even necessarily like them for cash right away because I think they're going to be like a buck, a buck fifty for a while. So I kind of like just getting these in trade or just buying them for people to come into your shop, whatever your situation is. But I kind of think uh, eventually the time to move on those will come. And I think Mind Stylation is a six, seven dollar card in the future. I and they're so cheap right now. It's a mythic. It's a really, really, really powerful effect, and a lot of decks are. Thousands of EDH decks are playing it already, so um, I kind of think that it's it, it's not something that like goes in specific decks. It's more of a staple type card and controly type strategies, and it just seems super obvious that this is going to be like a long term gainer. I think this could take a year, possibly even two, which is why I'm not like go spend four hundred bucks right now. But I I know that eventually mind dilation is going to go up and it doesn't hurt to start looking at it now because you never know how fast uh, that kind of stuff goes up. I remember print something I re- that'll make it snap overnight. I remember seeing this in the spoiler for Elder Moon, and I'm pretty sure I thought of you. I'm like, oh, this is exactly the type of car that I'm going to wait for it to bottom out and then, you know, pick up and just sit on them. For two it doesn't years. always work. I tried that with Expropriate and I missed the boat. Didn't that, what do you mean you missed the boat? That jumped pretty considerably, right? Yeah. But I, I I didn't have a substantial oh, number of copies. You waited too long. It went up. I waited too long. Yeah. Well, all right. well, they're a dollar now. The which McCall. So mine's elevation's a dollar now. So like, there's no. It's not getting any cheaper. So if you're gonna buy it, just buy it. Yeah. It's it's not getting cheaper. That's that's kind of why I like it. Um. But it's just it's one of those cards that I haven't really talked about before. But it's it's something I've I've always liked. And a lot of the stuff from Aether Revolt that I thought was gonna. Uh, be nice targets like that. Like people started playing it in standard and it went up. And even if it never gets played again outside of like Pro Tour weekend, that that still kind of spoiled the price. Like Lifecrafters Bestiary was probably going to be a dollar, but then someone played it on camera, so now it's six. And even if standard never plays it again, it's just going to be one of those price memory things. So a lot of my uh, standard actually kind of ruined a lot of my Aether Revolt targets. So I sort of turn my sights back on stuff that's still standard legal and is about to hit rotation, but hasn't really gone up yet. And uh, Mind's Violation is probably the best example of those cards. My pick of the week is played in thousands of commander decks. It's a land that ramps. Cross and Verge? No, it just got reprinted in Commander 2016, and it's already... Myriad Landscape. Yep. Yeah, my pick of the week is Myriad Landscape. Uh, this card got reprinted. It is a very unique effect that goes in any EDH deck that only plays one or two colors because uh, you can only get the same basic. And yeah, like this card's rebounding. And I feel like if you see these in bulk, it's blatant thievery to pick them out. So that's going to be my pick of the week. No. Um. Yeah. Is there anything else that you guys want to touch on before we end the cast? 
Uh, if you're at Grand Prix Orlando, come say hi. Because we'll all be crashing at Jim's house. Woo! Ed and I can... Uh, party at Jim's. Yeah, party at Jim's, guys. I already have two people that are judging that weekend that are crashing at my place. So you might got you guys might get like a couch or a, a air mattress on the floor. Uh, much uh, the, where uh, can people find you guys if you sort of want to go through the roundup? Uh, my uh, name is Jim Casal. I, you can find me on Twitter at phrost underscore. You can find me on Modern Nexus every week and Gathering Magic every other week. Go ahead, Ed. Uh, Edwin13 on Twitter. You guys uh, can find me with Corbin's Game Store behind the booth. Um, I will be at Grand Prix New Jersey, Shizuoka, Orlando, San Antonio, Mexico City. Uh, Jason, would you like to go? Sure thing. Uh, I'm Jason E. Alt on Twitter. I write for uh, MTG Price, and I write for Gathering Magic. I'm the content manager on edhrec.com, so if you haven't checked out the articles over there, I think they're pretty instructive, even from a finance standpoint. Uh, it's good to kind of be thinking about what those people are talking about, because that's how you get ahead of price trends. I don't know. What else? What the info do you guys want to know about me? Um, You're I'm half on the of Brainstorm Brewery. Oh, that's not fair. I, I think I contribute more than those other two guys combined. Um, yeah, I'm on the Brainstorm Brewery and Money Draft podcasts, and uh, I'm an occasional guest elsewhere. And uh, I was delighted to be invited to this cast tonight. I had a very excellent time. Is Money Draft just uh, whenever you guys happen to all be around one night? Type of schedule. So yeah, it's sort of hard to nail all our schedules down, and then it takes slick sometimes like two or three weeks to to edit it. So, like we could have rec we, we like won't record one if the last one hasn't been edited. So sometimes we wait around two or three weeks just for the last one to be edited. But that's kind of how we like it. If we took Money Draft too seriously, it wouldn't be as much fun. Right? Does he do? I'm curious what uh, how much editing is he doing? Because I bang out fast finance in like 25 minutes, if that. Yeah, but they're putting way more effort into money draft. You're prioritizing it, is what you're doing. There's you're also... like, I need to, I need to edit that, and then you go edit it. He doesn't, he's not about that. Well, I mean, it's it, all I have to do really is just like mute some noise stick and stick audio on both ends, right? Like, is, no, no, no. does he have to cut lots of sound out in the middle? Oh yeah, that awful thing. Yeah, there's a lot of there's oh, yeah. a lot of things that can't be that can't see the light of day. Entire gotcha. episodes have been scrapped because there's not enough stuff left over when all the all the things that can't be said yet taken out. We've, we've literally scrapped probably a dozen episodes that just will never get released. Were you guys just saying awful stuff? Is that what it was? Uh, some of it was awful, some of it was incriminating, and some of it, it's just the rhetoric was a little too strong. Gotcha. Yeah, that election episode, that was pretty strong. <laughs> uh, well, anyways. Best, by the way. Shout out to JR. Yeah. Dude, I don't... <laughs> Well, now I have to be careful about what I say because <laughs> we can't edit this one. I, I like no, we don't. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll end it there. I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write for MTG Price every Monday. I do Fast Finance, uh, usually around Thursdays. For And if you like playing Magic, check out Scry.Land. Find Magic. I pretended um, earlier I didn't listen to Fast Finance, but I actually do. It's a good podcast. Really? Yeah, I was just being a jerk. <laughs> no, no, I, no, no. I, I even told you, I was like, I'm going to save you the embarrassment of asking you because I know you're going to say no. <laughs> I'm really surprised. It doesn't seem like that'd be up your alley. 
it is i mean it's it's good to know uh what my contemporaries are looking at in finance and it's good to support mtg price well i i appreciate it jason and Carter. I never said you were good. I just said no. I'm just kidding. Well, sure, no, whatever. A, I'll, take, I'll take it. Well, I'm not really sure <laughs> what all this like pleasantry is. Like, I don't know why you guys are not like ripping each other's throats out. I, I, I can't deal with all this kindness. Jason and I and Corbin had a great time at Vegas, and I feel like we've all been stronger since then. Really? We don't like all of the same people, <laughs> which is yeah, everyone else. That's something Jason to bond over. Jason threw the Blackhawks winning in my face when we sat down to watch it at Westgate. It's blue. God damn it. I thought the Blues were going to do well for one goddamn year. It's bullshit. That's also another place you can find Jason. It's like I see him on Reddit in the hockey subreddit more often than anything else. Yeah, I don't I don't like to give away my MTG finance opinions away for free, but I will. my hockey opinions are a dime a dozen. <laughs> yeah. uh, it costs you a dime to not listen to a dozen of them. <laughs> Great. That's a good um, rate. I'll take it. I'm going to take the moment too to advocate for standing desks because I just got one and I've been standing this whole cast and I love it and they're so worth it. And get one of the motorized ones that goes up and down. It's awesome. I'm getting on that very soon. After I buy Ed's Tarmogoyfs probably. Uh, A standing desk would keep stuff out of my toddler's reach. That's worth thinking about. If you're a more... Or, or a less reputable person, I might like ask you to turn your camera off before you continue to lower it. Okay. Um, I'm Zemet. You can find me on Twitter at Zemet Sells Magic. You can find me in the great state of Missouri. Um, you can let me know if I was wrong or right about Cardsphere. We talked about this quite a bit, but the owners of Cardsphere or the founders just did an episode with Travis. That was about three hours, so it's definitely not fast finance. Um, Travis and James ask a bunch of questions about their business model. And from what I've seen, there's conflicting reports. So uh, since I'm pretty against Cardsphere at the moment, you guys should let me know if I'm right or wrong. And if it's a platform that you guys are looking into, you should check out r slash Cardsphere and see what they're all about. Well, I, I want to ask you to clarify your language. Are you against Cardsphere or are you not sold on the model? Yes, correct. I'm not sold on the model, especially after how they defended their 20% rule and some other stuff after listening to the cast. I think they should have been a little more prepared to come on the cast. There's a lot of questions that you guys asked that should have been fairly easy to answer that they didn't really uh, they didn't really answer. But at the same time, some of the ones that you asked that were harder questions, they knocked out of the park. So I'm still 50-50 on them. You know, I'm not happy with how they defended their business model in the cast, but I'm real happy with some of the questions that they answered when you asked. Uh, so, yeah, I think you can reach the founder at Tom Reese on Twitter. Yeah, they, anyway, I think they pay attention to the real Cardsphere Twitter handle. Yeah, it's it's Cardsphere or something, because the original Cardsphere is something else. Real, it's real Cardsphere. Yeah. Um, I'll be in Russia, Japan, and South Korea coming up. So if any followers need cards, let me know, because I've already got a ton of orders um, for that. And, of course, we have a bunch of Legacy tournaments. We have, like, one spot left for the next Legacy Winner Lotus, so you guys should check out Valhalla's Gate on Facebook. That's it for now. Jason, thanks for coming on, as always. You always have great advice, and hopefully no one gets burned on Modern Masters 3. Uh, let's hope for a doubling season reprint so that Doug can cry. Thanks for watching Cartel Aristocrats cast number 44, and as always, we'll see you guys next week.